I've just about had enough of you. For what use is such a plan? A man made out of tears! Overwhelming, am I not? Well, of course I exist. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and sub-tongues. Dialects and sub-tongues. A true oddity in the history of robots is the complete absence of robot films in American cinema before the 1950s. By My Count Studios made exactly zero full-length feature films with a major robot character. Hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Uh, this is a podcast series that explores the notion that for 50 years, between the films Metropolis in 1927 and Star Wars, in 1977, there were no good robots in cinema. I'm Matt Brown, and with me, as ever, my partner in crime and senior lecturer in visual arts, Stephen Murray. Now, Stephen, you sent me that quote. Who, who on earth said such a thing? A guy called Steve Carper, and he wrote that in his article, The Monster and the Ape, in 2019. Uh, he did suggest it needed citation, so I did do a bit of research myself. And? Uh, He's right. Unless there were films that were lost, uh, there are no major or even any robots in feature-length films. But there are robots in serialisations. There are robots in serialisations. I mean, just to sort of... I mean, <clears throat> could you argue that the Tin Man is a robot in Wizard of Oz? A man made out of tin! Yeah, there's two known robots in The Wizard of Oz. One is the Tin Man and the other one is TikTok. The Tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. So there is, there is a full-length feature film with a major robot character, then, isn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've just, we've <laughs> just shot Steve each other in the foot. so-called carper. <laughs> 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 but I would say that the that you're, you're right. I mean, it, that robots really sort of live and breathe in the serials, the sort of film serials in Hollywood at this time. I mean, is it too, is it too bold to say that the the things we're going to talk about in this this episode represent the first golden age of shit robots? Uh, the major golden age of shit robots, because they are monumentally shit. They are, aren't they? Yeah, um, they are. I was reading um, an article in the New York Times about uh, science fiction films, like reflecting what was going on in society at the time. And the 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 serials that we're going to chat about today are all all confined to the nineteen thirties. Uh-huh. So I went on to that there Wikipedia, um, and this is what it says about the nineteen thirties. It sounds incredibly similar to <laughs> the 2020s. But here we go. It says, The decade was defined by a global economic and political crisis that culminated in the Second World War. So the collapse of the international financial system, ring any vowels, uh, yeah. beginning with the Wall Street crash of 1929, the largest stock market crash in American history. The subsequent economic downfall called the Great Depression had traumatic social effects worldwide, leading to widespread poverty and unemployment. Now I've also like looked at the sci-fi films of this period, and like robots don't feature very heavily, but there are some things that feature quite heavily, like Deluge, which was a 1933 movie, um, which follows a small group of survivors after a series of unexplained natural disasters erupt around the world. Um, there was a, a UK movie called Once in a New Moon in 1934. I mean, this sounds like an amazing film, which is um, where a dead star 
passes uh, Earth, but the magnetic pull dislodges the English town of Shrimpton on the sea and causes it to, <laughs> causes it to break away and become its own miniature globe in orbit around the Earth. Wow. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? And then there's a, there's a, there's a film called Men Must Fight, 1933, which is when her lover is killed in World War I, a woman raises their son as a pacifist. However, when a second world war looms between the United States and a country referred to as the Eurasian States in 1940, the belief, that belief is put to the test. So it's sort of maybe more um, existential sort of films that were part of the Hollywood canon of this time. Uh, and maybe that's why there's no robots or, or very few robots in Hollywood films of this time. They spend most of the time on on lavish entertainment in films. You've got Forty Second Street and Gold Diggers. So and Busby Berkeley started to come to the fore. So it was literally the the cinema was just awash with films that took people out of themselves and gave them a great deal of entertainment. Yeah, sort of bread and circuses. Yes, that sort of Pane et Kirkensis. <laughs> Ooh, okay, you. <laughs> now the other thing I wondered if it's worth just talking about briefly. Um, before we embark on these these seals of the 1930s, is the Hayes Code. Oh, yes. And this is what, again, this is from Wikipedia. This is what Wikipedia says of it. The Hayes Code was around from the 1930s, but was sort of properly implemented in 1934. It was I, a moral thing. A moral code, yeah. And it was yeah. it was instigated by the Roman Catholic Church who launched a campaign against what they deemed to be the immorality of American cinema. And it said that before this, so before 1934, nefarious characters were seen to profit from their deeds, in some cases without significant repercussions. For example, gangsters in films such as The Public Enemy, Little Caesar and Scarface were seen by many as heroic rather than evil, and strong female characters were ubiquitous in such pre-code films as Female Babyface and Red-Headed Woman. So... I suppose the things that we're going to be looking at are post Hayes Code, aren't they? The, the, the serials of the sort of mid to late thirties, and and it make, that makes that kind of contextualizes some of the stuff because it's all very wholesome, isn't it? All the all the sort of series that we're looking at. Yeah, it is, but they were in a slack period as well. Like you said, the Hayes Code didn't really come in as strongly overall uh, movies until a bit later. It was there. But in the case of something like Flash Gordon, uh, the outfits of Dale and Ming's daughter were deemed to be too uh, scant in the first series. And then they made the, their outfits a little bit more um, robust. <laughs> Yet um, Buster Crab could run around in his skimpies. Uh, in, and, you know, that was fine. Yeah. I mean, let's we'll, we'll let's uh, let's leave Buster Crab's pants until <laughs> until we chat about, about Flash Gordon. But I mean, it's well, it's uh, it's extraordinary, it really is utterly extraordinary. Gordon's alive. So, Stephen Murray, I'm too uh, young and pretty to have been going to the cinema and seeing serials, but you, they are part of your childhood. What was it like? What was it like, Grandpa Murray? As a man of a certain vintage, it was a way in England. It was a way of of getting rid of your kids on a Saturday morning. It was a Saturday Saturday morning club at the cinema. Uh, I think it, it didn't cost very much back in the back in the days. It cost a couple of pennies, 
Uh, and they, these lasted right up into the 70s. So what would happen is you, they'd start at 9 o'clock and finish at 12. And there would be uh, cartoons. There would be um, some short films, uh, a B-movie, if they could squeeze one in, as long as it, it just it lasted just over an hour. And you got your cereal. you got your Flash Gordons and you've got your um, Book Rogers. In America, it was different because in America, basically cinema took over from vaudeville. Uh, and the structure of vaudeville was lots and lots of different kinds of acts, ranging from magic acts, juggling acts, to comedians, to dancers, to ballet dancers. Uh, and the structure of that was you could you pay your money and you could go in at any particular time uh, and stay there for as long as you wanted. So cinema, when cinema began to take over from cinema, started in vaudeville as a, as a kind of one of their acts that project something on the screen like a, a train pulling into a station and that would terrify everybody. <laughs> And one of the earliest animations was Gertie the Dinosaur. Uh, and the creator of Gertie, they would project Gertie on a, on a screen and there'd be a hole in the screen and he'd, he'd stand on a chair and feed her by pushing food through the hole. And it was all. So cinema started off in vaudeville and then they had independent cinemas, but the structure stayed the same. So you'd have an air movie, then you'd have the news, then you would have uh, the serial and animations from the golden age of animation. Uh, and then sometimes you would have dancing girls come on, the rock sets are the most famous. Uh, and a Wurlitzer um, um, organ would come out of the ground and you, uh, you'd have a performance. Then the B movie would come on. Uh, and that would cycle around on that day. But the serial was a really nice device because it had a cliffhanger at the end to get you back again. I was just thinking then how if, there was somebody from that time who came to the cinemas now. They just think it was rubbish, wouldn't they? Because it's well, just... the reason why we have the structure now. I mean, A movies and B movies, for me, um, lasted for a long time. And I remember going to see It's Alive, which was the A movie. And, and the B movie was Badlands, which changed my life, that film. Yeah. And it was a fantastic film. But um, it was Alfred Hitchcock who changed the structure with the release of Psycho because he didn't want anyone to uh, come in in the middle and wonder what the hell was going on and then reveal the end. So he, he created the structure of you pay your money, you go in at the beginning of the film, you watch the film, you leave, and there's a thing at the end where Alfred Hitchcock comes on and says, do not reveal the end of this film. Mm. And he, he changed the structure and then it became this, you pay your money, you, you see the film once and you leave. Or if you're like me, you paid your money, you went in to see the film, and then you hid somewhere in the cinema, and then you came back out again and watched the film again, which that... I did with uh, You Only Lived Twice, and I watched it three times. <laughs> and that's why you're a professor of visual arts. <laughs> yes. Professor Stephen I spent Murray. most of my life as a child in the dark. <laughs> like a mushroom. Yes. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel, tucked away off the main highway, and as you see, perfectly harmless looking, when in fact, it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Um, so the first series that we're gonna talk about is called The Vanishing Shadow which is a 1934 uh, serial. The plot is um, okay, it's sort of standard fare, isn't it? It's, it's about a, a guy who wants to create a, a machine that will make somebody vanish 
but the only thing that is left of them is their shadow. Professor Van Dorn, you're the world's greatest authority on the power of electrical energy, how to control it and direct it. <laughs> you flatter me. Your article on the disposition of the atoms in space, the osmotic pressure of dissolved substances proves you're a great chemist. I accept the task. But very early on in the in the series, we get to see <laughs> we get to see the first great shit robot of the 1930s. Um, the the robot is is sort of revealed, and it, it's. I mean, I'd say that the aesthetic of a lot of these robots in these series is sort of. I mean, essentially, like like a child has drawn it. Yeah. Um, if you can, Im- and this one in particular, I would say this this robot is quite impressive in terms of its size. It's it's looks like it's seven or eight feet tall. Yeah, very very long arms. Very long arms <laughs> with over- just ex- extra pointless joints. <laughs> They've got um, grasping, you know, things like a sort of like a lobster or something, isn't it? Those sort yeah, of yeah. you know, um, and and it does it, it. It reveals the robot so beautifully because it pans up from the robot's feet, so you get to see it in its full glory. And it's got its body is a bit like imagine a sort of you know a, a, an oblong box, sort of like a massive shoe box, and then and then the 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 legs of the robot are sort of like tubes, sort of like oversized toilet roll tubes, and then the face is extraordinary. I was not prepared for the face at all, which to my mind will look like Walter Matthau. Wow. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it's got, an, you know, what, the nose. It's got an enormous. It's nose. just all nose and two eyes. <laughs> it's <a> humongous nose. <laughs> it is just fabulous. And then it so it, and and it, you first see it and it and it sort of it does a little dance. Um, so you, I mean, you think to yourself, well, there's a there's a person in that. That's just a person. But then. The, the the scientist goes to the back of the of the robot and opens up the back of the robot and and it is it's just all mechanical inside which is, is that amazing. happens in quite a few of these <laughs> series that happens again in a in a, one of the Bella Lugosi ones he does right. exactly the same and he's got exactly the same device on his arm that controls it right but the the interior the, the sort of inner workings of the robot was quite interesting because it's it's like a um uh it's like sort of what are they called where it's all clockwork automatons yeah so it's like an automaton isn't it it's just the, the inside is just cranks and gears and flashing bulbs and things like that it, there is this kind of a, that trope still carries on to try and make you believe that it's mechanical when they when they want to do something with data's positronic brain in in star trek they just flip up a bit of his hair and there's just little led lights in there yeah just little circuits idea that he that he's mechanical yeah I mean, it's, it's still carries on. Yeah, there you go. It's so it's groundbreaking. This film, isn't it? Yeah, it sets yeah. Set, setting the tone for the rest of the nineteen thirties. But I thought that was really lovely. And also, I watched the first episode of this series as well. And I would recommend anyone with four hours and two minutes, <laughs> if they want to go and watch something great, is go sit and watch the Vanishing Shadow because it is so good. So that is. Uh, the Vanishing Shadow, 1934. Then in 1935, um, is I mean, this might be my favourite of all of these serials, The Phantom Empire. Which it has got the most extraordinary plot 
Western musical science fiction crossover. Western musical science fiction crossover. Uh, starring Gene Autry. As? As Gene Autry. <laughs> now, for anyone who doesn't know who Gene Autry is, he was a really big country and western star uh, from... From from my scant research, sort of from nine, the mid nineteen thirties to well, almost until he died, I think, wasn't he? Which is yeah. he died at age ninety one. He was. It says here on again on his Wikipedia page, uh, he was an American singer, songwriter, actor, musician, rodeo performer, baseball team owner, who gained fame largely by singing in a crooning style on radio, in films, and on television for more than three decades, beginning in the early 1930s. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly Jimson weed I'm back in the saddle again He was known, nicknamed as the Singing Cowboy. Yeah. And they really lean into that on this, don't they? It's just a massive advert for Gene Autry. So, Stephen, what is the plot of The Phantom Empire? It's very basic. Every single episode is basically trying to stop Gene Autry from getting to the radio ranch by two o'clock, or else his contract will be up. And the reason why that is already that just sounds ludicrous. Yeah. And also, you've got to love horses. To, to watch this, it's just full of horses. <laughs> they love this, horses, this, don't they? Yeah, this advanced empire that that lives underground near near the radio ranch, they're so advanced that they just ride around on horses. <laughs> They've been underground for ten thousand years. Uh, they went underground during the last ice age period, and uh, and it's all run by this queen called Queen Tika. Above ground, Jean's got this professor. Beatson, who wants to, uh, he wants the land round the radio ranch uh, to mine it for uh, radium. Of course he does. So you've essentially you've got you've got Gene Autry, who all he wants to do is sing at two o'clock. You've got Queen Tika, and all she wants to do is just exist in a sort of slightly fascistic, you know, mega advanced society. And then you've got someone who wants to dig down into the Phantom Empire, essentially, isn't it, to get the radium. That's it. That is the plot. Yeah. yeah. But it I mean the thing that I find so lovely about it is 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 because Gene Autry is in it, you do get incredible dialogue like this. If we can capture Gene Autry, Radio Ranch would soon become deserted. And the entrance to our underground kingdom would forever remain undiscovered. And there's as there's lots of other Brilliant uh, snatches of dialogue as well. It's incredible. Well, gentlemen, what's this? Gene Autry has escaped with our new ray gun. Autry escaped? Incompetent fool. Did, did you like it? Uh, I was gobsmacked at the fact that it was just a, a vehicle for Gene Autry. And they're just this under underworld. Um, just, it was just... Bizarre. It is really strange, um, and, and we've got to we've got to get to the robots. We've got to get to the robots because the robots in this are again similar to, similar in look to the Vanishing Shadow in that they look like they've been created by a child, um, but they they're not very effective robots, are they? No, they're not at all. 
um, they, they have these magnificent hats on that just look like brown derbies. Um, and they they are literally just as if they are drawn by children. Yeah. Uh, more so than the, the previous robot. Yeah, I'd um, say they're much less likable than that than the one in the Vanishing Shadow. I think. Um, they're they're so boxy, and yeah, they've got this sort of slightly ridiculous hat that is welded into their. I mean, I'm assuming they look, even though it's black and white, they look silver. Obviously, I suppose it's black. And I'm white. looking now at a, a color photograph, and they are silver. Yes. Silver, yeah. And so they are, they're, again, they're quite tall, they're quite bulky, quite boxy um, with these these hats, these hats on. And you sort of think that's, why have they got hats on? That serves, it serves no no purpose whatsoever. And it, it must have taken ages to add that design flourish to these robots for whichever poor scientist, scientist had to build them. <laughs> but they don't even do anything, do they? They have to be. You, they have to be commanded to do things. They're not autonomous in in any in any sense. None of the robots we look at in these series have any autonomy. They they're all uh, controlled. But these ones seem more, almost seem more controlled than ones in the other series. I think I can remember as a kid there there was there was a toy that I remember really wanting, which was a sort of programmable robot that you could uh, and the advert was like you know it could take a drink from the kitchen to dad in the sitting room you know and you could just program it and it would you know know where to go and it feels like these robots are like that that they could probably deliver a drink if programmed <laughs> but that is it so i mean I, I think i think so far these are the these are the shittest of the robots because yeah. they're, they're just so unlovable these these robots the one, the one in the Phantom Empire is is really shit. Now, one thing I was looking at today as well is that um, I just wanted to mention very quickly here is that um, the Phantom Empire uh, gets remade in 1988, and it also has a shit robot in it. No. Yeah, I'll stick the as part part of the the podcast. I'm going to put I'm going to put a load of notes in the show notes, and I'll link to a lot of these videos because they're really worth watching. Um, it was a science fiction horror film. There was um, an awful lot less country and western singing in the Phantom Empire remake. It was uh, a lot more booby, I'd say, from the from, oh. the, from, from the trailer. But the, it says it on its Wikipedia page: reception. The Phantom Empire has received mostly negative reviews. The film holds a rating of thirty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Creature Feature gave the movie two out of five stars, finding it quote campy. I think, well, it sounds a lot right on my street, that. I was going to say, <laughs> on my watch list. But I'm going to show you that I've got, a pic- I've got a picture of the robot. Hang on, I'll just show it to you. Can you see the? See oh, that? wow. Oh, I know this robot. It's one of the robots that was like a hybrid from Robbie. Robbie from uh, Forbidden Planet. The Forbidden Planet. So it does, if you can picture the, the Forbidden Planet, TV series, it does look a bit like that, doesn't it? It's it's um, yeah. it's sort of br- brass coloured, and looks a bit sort of a little a little bit beaten up. Um, but it's got a um one gigantic green eye in the middle of its sort of like domed head, and two. I mean, it's, they're so ineffective. It's got two pincers, which are even less effective than the ones from the nineteen thirties. <laughs> And then it's 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 sort of brain is completely sort of like it's it's in a transparent um, 
compartment. Easily breakable dome. <laughs> yes, the easily breakable dome. And in the trailer, its sort of special secret move seems to be firing ele- electrical bolts out of itself. But again, right. incredibly ineffective. Um. So, but I just thought it was worth 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 a mensch. Yeah, definitely. Phantom Empire, nineteen eighty-eight. Okay, so we've. Uh, been talking about the extraordinary Vanishing Shadow and the equally extraordinary, but for slightly different reasons, <laughs> The Phantom Empire starring Gene Autry. Uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about two more serials from the 1930s, maybe the mother of all the serials, Flash Gordon, and then a, and then a serial that kind of was created... Uh, in response to Flash Gordon by another studio called Undersea Kingdom. But don't worry, both of them have very shit robots in. (laughs) Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. My business is singing. I sing about horses and sunshine and the plains. Kind of makes you feel good to sing, you know.